Mac Power Users, Episode 239, Workflows with Adam Christensen. everyone. It's David Sparks along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing great, David. How are you? Good. We have a guest that's long overdue on the Mac Power Users, our long friend Adam overdue. Christensen. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, how are you guys doing? Adam, if you don't know, is the grandfather of Mac podcasting. <laughs> I get that title now. Yeah, you I don't do. know. I'm not that old, right. you know. Well, uh, let's see here. The, uh, the, the founding, the founder, of <laughs> founding father, founder of Mac podcast. Maybe. Right? Yeah. So, I think it, it might be debatable depending upon your definition of a podcast, but I'll, I'll accept. Well, and I have in my notes here that you started the Mac cast in December of 2004. And that's correct. And I started listening, um, shortly. Uh, I don't remember if it, if if it was between the winter and and the winter break in my law school career, which it might have been, it would have been right around December, January, um, but it might have been during the summer break, right after my first year of law school, which which would have been the summer after that. Um, so I I've been with you for a long time there, maybe so, yeah. not quite since so the I, beginning. I was well, sure if Katie was alive when you started that show. <laughs> yes, I was alive. Been born yet. I was going to say, you probably wouldn't have wanted to have been there at the very, very beginning. It was a little rough. Like, having no experience in audio anything, it was, you know, it was the early days of podcasting. A lot of podcasts were like that back then. There wasn't a lot of production quality. There wasn't a lot of gear. We didn't have all the cool equipment and stuff we have available now. So, Well, well, well those, not for only, those who don't yeah. know. Adam Adam has the MacCast, which is, if not the original, one of the very first Mac podcasts that ever existed, which is now up to episode 515. 14, Pro- yeah. Well, probably 15 by the time the show publishes. <laughs> yeah, Maybe, there yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, um, and Adam has just been, he just does a great job. One of the things that's amazing about you, Adam, is you do a podcast where you, it's not two people, it's just you talking. And I think that is so difficult and you do such a fine job of it. Uh, it's just, it's a great podcast. And, and uh, why we haven't had you on yet is a uh, shame on us. So uh, I, I'm chuckling because one of the reasons I think that I have a solo podcast is because I did start so early. There was no one else to podcast. Yeah, with. I <laughs> had I had that. the option, <laughs> I may have, would, may have gone that route. But, yeah. you know, the format worked and I learned how to how to make it work. So I just kind of stuck with it. Well, and there was there was probably a lot of logistics to figure out of, you know, Skype and I mean, did that stuff even exist and recording no. two track audio and, and doing all of those things? We didn't even have a directory, Katie. I mean, like how people found I know the show, finding I your show no was idea. very difficult because <laughs> I, I remember it was it was actually because I remember it was my first year in law school. It was a law school librarian. And, and, and forgive me going off on this tangent. But, you know, when I don't know. But when you're in your first year of law school, you're required to take like this research and writing class where they show you how to use the library and you have to learn how to like research the old fashioned way. Your, your first semester of law school before they introduce you to all of these fancy new online legal research research tools because at, at my uh, school they they believed very strongly that you needed to learn how to do it the old way before you learned how to do it the new way and I don't think they teach that anymore but the law school librarian um, mentioned something about podcasts and she had like a little bulletin board display set up about podcasting and I thought well that's kind of cool and so she had some kind of link to some kind of podcast directory so of course what do I do is I go home and I look at it and I start typing in you know Apple Mac computer 
and and boom, that's that's how the Matt cast popped up. Right. Yeah. Really strange. And then Adam Curry developed some sort of um, OPML based directory where different people would maintain a node. So actually for a long time, I maintained the part of the directory that was for computers and operating systems and stuff like that. I'm trying to even, I can't even remember what it was, but basically I have, I had a little OPML file that I would put on a server and then there was like, there was like a master one and the way OPML worked, I guess you could kind of link them all together. I don't even remember how it worked, but it was like crazy. So if somebody wanted to be listed in the computer category, they would actually email me and, you know, say, here's my podcast, here's my link, here's the RSS feed, can you add it to the directory? And then I'd have to go update the little file, put it up on my web server, and that was sort of that node of the directory. Yeah, and and here we are now in <laughs> 2015, and you're still producing it. That's I think that's one of the most impressive parts of it is that, I mean, you've, you've been there at the beginning, but you're still here, and you're still doing the show regularly. Yeah, trying to. It, it it gets harder as I get older and get more responsibilities and things like that. But yeah, it's been pretty yeah. consistent. I try to get four episodes out a month. You know, they're not always on the exact day or time. I'm I'm rare, I think, among podcasters where that goes. Um, but yeah, we try and get it done. So, Adam, tell us a little bit about your your history of of how you came to the Mac. I mean, I, I know you're a longtime Mac geek. Your Mac history predates many people. I know you definitely predate OS ten. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. so how, how did you become a Mac geek? What's your backstory there? Well, I mean, it's really, it's really a history of Apple. So it's really being an Apple geek and growing up in the eighties, uh, you know, when the personal computer revolution was sort of happening. And so at that time, I think most of my friends had either Apple two C's or two E's, um, I didn't have a computer in my house and uh, we would spend days at our friend's house, either, you know, playing pirated games, notching out five and a quarter inch floppies so we could, you know, use both sides of them. And, and uh, were they five and a quarter, five and a half, five and a quarter. It's the threes were three and a half. But anyway, five and a quarter floppies. And then um, programming, we started, you know, we would play these games and then we suddenly thought, you know, we kind of want to make our own games. And so how do you do that? And so, you know, got into basic and doing that on Apple twos. Now, while this is all going on, my dad uh, worked in um, marketing and graphic design. And so as the Mac started to take over that space, he started to become a Mac user. And I think his he got a job at one point where they gave him a Mac Plus. And um, when it came time for us to get a, a personal computer, one for our house, you know, I, we were, I was begging for it, of course. And I wanted an Apple II. And this was right before the Apple II GS came out. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it was it was kind of a deviation from it was late in the Apple II cycle. Uh, the GS stand stood for graphics and sound, and it was going to have, I think, like 16 bit audio. And it was going to bring a lot of the features that sort of the Mac had, but it still under the hood was an Apple II. And I kind of knew Apple IIs, and I knew, like, all the software that I had, all the games and things that I had access to were Apple IIs. So we kind of had a There was kind of a holy war uh, at that point between... And we had that holy war in my house, (laughs) because my dad's like, I want to buy a Mac. And I'm like, well, there's... You know, and Macs were, I think, two or three times the price. And so I convinced my dad that the 2GS was going to be just as good as a Mac, because it had a desktop... 
you know, it had icons, plus it was in color. And um, he bought that for us. But, you know, I soon found out. Yeah, you lost that war. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, not only that, but, um, you know, I started to outgrow. This was, I think I got it, you know, probably early in high school. But as I got more and more into high school, I was lucky my high school had a print shop. And we started doing sort of desktop publishing type stuff. And, you know, the the Mac was kind of the platform to move into that. And as I moved into college and stuff like that, you know, Macs were taking off. So, you know, what I wanted to do at that point in my life became more Mac based. And it was funny because at the time we even had a friend who had a Mac and we kind of used to make fun of him a little bit because it's like, oh, you got that Mac. We can't do anything with that. We can't program it. It's all closed. And, you know, it feels a little bit like the war uh, over, you know, iPads versus Android devices now, I guess, now looking back. Hadn't that, really thought about it that, that way, that but it was. Back with, what, was it oldest page maker back before Adobe owned it, maybe? Doing desktop? Yeah, publishing? yeah. So I did stuff in, yeah, I, my dad was doing stuff in um, in page maker and even illustrator back then. Uh-huh. I mean, we had an illustrator 1.0. I mean, I was doing all kinds of graphics on that little nine inch screen. I look back because that's what ultimately, you know, my dad got a new machine and he let me take that little, that little Mac plus to college. Um, and I remember cause storage was a problem when I started working. I remember calling him. I don't remember where I was in my college career, but I'm like, I need, I need a hard drive. And I remember I had him buy me a 52 megabyte LaCie hard drive, and I believe it was $550. Yeah, it was cost. probably like built like a tank, right? <laughs> had a big fan it on was, it. It wasn't too bad. It had a fan. You know, I had a 20, I did have a 20 megabyte Apple uh, drive for the Mac Plus, and I had a, you know, because it was a hand-me-down from my dad. So my dad, in his job, he had the 20 megabyte Apple drive. He had this awesome um, radius it was a one bit, um, eight, uh, 11, eight and a half by 11 display, basically a, a, a lance or a portrait rather display. Um, so it had a second display. It was a nice machine to have in college. And, you know, I did all kinds of college programs and I did my, uh, you know, for like the theater department and I did graphic design and I did illustrator work and, uh, you know, page maker, um, and then luckily we had a, it, the program I was in was in uh, magazine and book design. And one of the reasons I went to the school that I went to was that um, they had this lab that had just been outfitted with all new uh, Mac 2FXs, which nice. if anybody knows their Mac history at the time, yeah, the, these things were $10,000 is I think what they cost. So, you know, more, <laughs> three times more than, a, you know, a current Mac Pro. Yeah. Um, but they were the and, state and of the when art. You, when you back up the dollars for that time, it's even more. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. But, you know, so working in Photoshop and all that stuff on there, it was just like, it was a dream. It was amazing. So it's kind of funny just in the abstract now when we think about how much computers cost and we get upset. You know, it's like the this Mac cost $1,400. That's crazy. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, back then, even not, to get one that's that wasn't very good and even like switching over to you know the pc side you were looking at like three grand to buy a computer very very often you know i mean it was just it's really amazing to me how much they've come down in price i mean of course we'd always want everything cheaper but but it really is a lot easier to get into a computer now than it used to be so a funny story somewhat related to that was you know later on in my career so after i graduate college um i i went and did pre-press for an ad agency in Portland. 
and um, slowly the art directors they had these like old machines. They had old Power PC eighty one hundred machines, and by the time I even got to that agency, you know they were they were four or five years old at that point, I think, and they knew um, the blue and white G3s came out, and it was right when the iMacs were coming out. And um, they really needed new machines because they had kind of found out that I, I knew how to work on them. So I was supposed to be doing page layout and getting, you know, stuff ready to go into magazines, these ads and stuff like that. But I was spending probably 50% of my time just maintaining these machines because they they didn't have a full-time IT guy. They would bring this guy in on contract. But, you know, I could deal with extension conflicts and figure out font conflicts and SCSI conflicts and all that sort of stuff. So they were constantly constantly calling me into their offices, and we were kind of getting these machines limping along, and they weren't very efficient at them. And um, so I remember going to the president and saying, hey, these art directors really need new machines, and here's what I think you should buy. And I think we were going to get, there were four art directors, and I think we were going to get four machines, and they were about $3,000 a piece, right? So it was going to be about a $12,000 uh, outlay of cash that I was asking him to lay down. And he's like, I don't know if we can get that into the budget. And I was doing something else a few days later, and I was down in, you know, like the the hole where everything, you know, everything ends up, right? All the old technology. Yeah. And I'm looking over in the corner, and I see a stack of, like, four two Mac 2FXs. Nice. Oh, and I'm like, oh, they, they had two FXs at one point. And so I went back to the president and I said, hey, did you guys used to use these two FXs? Oh, yeah, the art directors had all those two FXs. We bought all those for them before we bought the PowerPC, you know, the 8100s. I said, you know, when you bought those, you paid 40 grand. I said, I'm asking for, you know, for 12 here, and they'll be up to date with the latest technology. Yeah. And it was sold, you know, they all got new machines. So I was yeah. the hero of the office at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope they gave you those two FXs and you've got them sitting in your basement somewhere for posterity's sake. No, yeah. no. I saw somebody who turned a bunch of them into a couch, which is probably about what they're really good for now. There, you know, we have um, listeners who write in once in a while, talk about how they've got all these great old Macs they've kept around. In fact, I had um, a reader of the blog once sent because I, the Mac plus was always my big thing. Right. But the, um, right. um, Somebody sent me one and it was fun. I, play, I even had my daughter working with it for a while, but eventually I got rid of it because I just I'm just not into keeping that old stuff around. I still have my original Mac Plus. Um, yeah. It's got a it's got a display issue. Uh, basically, it suffers from, you know, one of those problems. I think there's like this little uh, graphics daughter card and it the solder points can fail on it. So yeah. there's a guy actually here in San Diego that will uh, repair those really old Macs. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so I got to get it down to him. But, uh, you know, I think best case scenario, you know, it's a it's a $100 repair if he can reflow the solder, but it could be about 300 bucks just yeah, to fix we, it if he has to replace that board. I think we talked about it on the show, but there was an article recently in iFixit where the guy had his Mac was failing and he baked it. He put it in the oven. And mm-hmm. heated it up enough to uh, to get the solder joints to reset. Yep, that's um, yeah. I I cannot imagine doing that. I just can't. I guess if the computer was completely <laughs> dead, and you'd say, "Well, I guess I'll take a shot at it." But just yeah, the idea of, Pros, yeah. of heating up the oven and putting your computer in there. <laughs> well, you just know. <laughs> to, to be fair, you're only putting the logic board in there. Yeah, you got to disassemble you know it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, same kind of deal. But anyway, that's I guess that's a long roundabout way to to be how I got into Mac. So it was basically, you know, I wanted to get into graphic design. I wanted to be a graphic designer, and that was kind of the platform 
for graphic designers back when, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. So, And in addition to being a podcast grandpa, you are a graphic designer. I mean, you still do that stuff in web work. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I've moved more on the technical side of things, and I do a lot more programming now. But every once in a while, I'll have to design a logo. Like the MacCast logo I designed, and, and I've designed a few other things here and there. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the work that you're doing in, in web design and in programming. But before we mm-hmm. do, David, do you want to tell us about our first sponsor? I would like to, Katie Floyd. And that is our friends over at LaunchBar. Uh, LaunchBar is the keyboard shortcut app that solves so many problems when you're sitting at a Mac. And they, they've got the new version out, brand new version 6. It's got a new user interface with themes. I When I run it, I use the Yosemite theme because I'm into Yosemite. I want it all to look great. They has great complementary typography but they've done a lot more than just make it look pretty they've improved the configuration interface they've added additional indexing rules so for instance you can index your reminders list and your finder tags which can be really useful especially now that finder tags are becoming a bigger deal Uh, safari icloud tabs uh, safari top sites all that stuff now is indexed automatically by launch bar Uh, it's also got new actions you can tag from the keyboard. So you hit your magic launch bar key co- keyboard combination and it very quickly tag directly from the keyboard. You don't have to lift your hand to use the mouse or anything like that. Um, it does airdrop, live web searching, browsing file information. You can even get usage statistics. They've really gone above and beyond make this application even more powerful than before. And they've even added this custom script-based action. So you can extend launch bar with custom actions written in common scripting languages. If there's something the application doesn't, you don't want it to or you want it to do and it doesn't you can add that with this language so you could write your own or if you're not a developer you can add from their library and they've got a whole developer library of scripted actions you can download and just plug in it's really great um uh one of the things i really like about LaunchBar that a lot of people don't know they're there even people who already own it is that they have this really powerful clipboard history function and when you're using LaunchBar, um it's always looking at your clipboard so like if you want to look at let's say you clipped three items you know usually when you hit the command v or paste it's only going to put the last thing in there well you can have launch bar keep track of those and it can keep track of a lot of them so the trick is when you're using launch bar uh, hit command k and it's going to show you your clipboard or you could also just hit option command uh, backslash and it'll go directly to the clipboard that's the one i usually use and it's a scrollable list showing your clipboard and not only does it show you what's in there it also shows you where you got them so like i've got i just opened up mine i can see a bunch of items from finder some items items from safari some items from byword and all those are now available to me i can just mouse down or use the arrow key to go down over whichever one I want, hit return, and it'll paste it wherever I've got things. So if you've got the need to look at more than one clipboard item, this is all built in. And I know you can buy custom apps for this. There's some apps out there, but LaunchBar does the job just fine. That's the only clipboard manager I've used for years, and I'm really happy with it. Uh, that's just one example of some of the many things you can do with LaunchBar. Um, you can see it. You can use it for free as long as you like with all the features available. But after 30 days, they're going to ask you to, you know, hey, you want to buy it? And they're going to give you that screen. And if you decide you want to buy it, it's very reasonable in price. Uh, you can get a single user license. You can get a family user license if you want to have everybody in it. And if you've used it before, they even have upgrade pricing. So uh, go check it out. Um, you want to go to, I don't have the, the URL here. Is it launchbar? Go to launchbar.com. 
Yeah, launchbar.com. It's also Objective Development is the developer. Um, and uh, you can go to obdev.at slash launchbar. That's another way to get there. Uh, let them know you heard about it from us. But but you need to try this. Go, go download it. Use the demo and see if it can change your game because it definitely changed mine. Thanks, Launchbar, for sponsoring the show. So Adam, I know you kind of started out as a as a graphic designer, but these days it seems like you spend most of your time. Is it doing web development or are you doing yeah. app development? Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, to keep you busy during the day when you're not podcasting. Mostly web programming. Um, I do a lot of WordPress work uh, these days. I also um, am the web developer for the Mac Observer, so I maintain uh, and run their website on the on the back end. So mostly PHP, MySQL, uh, Apache, those sorts of things. So is that, you know, running like the Mac observer on the back end? was that like creating their CMS or is it just mainly maintaining it and keeping it up and running or. Uh, it's going to be maintaining and keeping it up and running. So uh, the Mac observer actually uses a CMS uh, called expression engine, which if we want to get real geeky is um, based on code igniter which is a PHP framework or sort of PHP library. Um, and actually, it's interesting, P-Machine uh, has kind of a history with the Mac. And I don't know, I don't think that's why Mac Observer ended up on it. I think they ended up on it through, you know, a series of all kinds of different events. But yeah, it used to be kind of the Mac-friendly uh, CMS back in the day. And I remember running it uh, when it was, and I probably already referenced it. So I said, <laughs> did I say P-Machine? Yeah, you did. Okay, yeah. So it was called P Machine. So it, the the current software is called Expression Engine. So let me back up a little bit because I confused my I confused my things. So the current software is called Expression Engine, but it started out as this thing called P Machine, which was like a very Mac friendly uh, CMS in the probably mid to late nineties, I think. And I had actually played played around with it on the Mac side then. I think when I was with the ad agency. And kind of had forgotten about it until I got the job with with Mac Observer. And then they're like, yeah, we use this thing called Expression Engine. And I'm like, okay, let me figure out what that thing is. And when I was doing my research on it, it was like, oh, this evolved from P-Machine. And so it was kind of a, <laughs> it was kind of my history coming back. And it was, it was pretty neat. And it's, it's a pretty nice uh, content management system. Uh, and it's done by a company called Ellis Labs. Yeah, we actually had Dave Hamilton on the show last year, I think, mm-hmm. and he, he talked a little bit about the evolution of, um, you know, using Adobe Go Live originally and just basically republishing the site every time they had something new to do and realizing that that wasn't going to work out well. Yeah, he had, he had like built his own thing. Yeah, that I think was all like flat file based. And yeah, it was pretty cool. So how do you get started in that? Because I imagine you know, when when you went to school, there really wasn't an Internet and, and a need for things like this. Yeah, yeah, there probably wasn't a, a computer science degree in in uh, in web development. I don't know what they were doing at the time. And the, and the internet was there. I mean, it was obviously forming. We had Mosaic and things like that, but there wasn't a lot happening. I think the way it came about, again, I was working at this ad agency, and um, people kind of knew I was into computers and technology. And I think I... I Taught myself taught myself HTML. I don't remember why. I think just because I was curious about it. It was like another outlet for like my graphic design, like laying out pages and stuff like that. And um, I had kind of built a little cheesy website. And then somebody must have found found out. I don't remember how, but um, somebody came to me and said, "Hey, can you build me a website?" 
and I need it to do, I need it to do this. And I said, okay, yeah, I can probably do that. And I kind of built it for them on the side. And then inevitably, inevitably they came back and said, oh, you know what? I really, I'd like an email form on my website, you know, where someone could put in their information and their email address and it would send me an email. And I'm like, do you, do you know how to do that? And I, I didn't, but I thought for a second, I said, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. How much are you yeah, paying? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, well, cause I knew I could probably figure it out. Um, so then that led to me having to figure out, okay, how am I, how does this work? And I found out about, uh, CGI and, uh, Perl scripting in the Unix shell. So, you know, still back then, most servers were running Apache and Unix and stuff like that. So you had CGI, you had the, the language Perl, and that was kind of how you did it. You did it with these CGI Perl calls. And so I taught myself that. And it was sort of then everything evolved from there. So as people found out I knew how to build, build websites, it, it became, oh, do you know how to do a database? Well, sure, yeah, I can figure that out. And so it was really just self-taught. It kind of came out of need and just interest, you know, again, it was bringing me back, I think, a little bit to programming basic on those Apple IIs. I always kind of had an interest in that, and I had kind of moved away from it as I moved more into the graphics side of things. But I was able to kind of bring it back. And so I got back into technology, and then just one thing led to another. So then when I left Portland and um, moved back to San Diego, I said, you know, I really think I want to I wanna get into the, the web development programming thing. So I'm not even going to try and find a graphic design job. I'm going to try and find a web development job. And now, uh, at that point, were you already yeah. doing the podcast? No, uh-uh. okay. no, that was this was right before I started the podcast because I, I moved back and I got a job with um, a, a small section of uh, Upper Deck, the trading card company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because then they brought me in <laughs> and I don't even, I don't even remember. They brought me in and I started doing their web development. Um, and then they wanted to build an online store. And so they had bought this kind of e-commerce package that was real proprietary. And they sent me to training and they're like, you're going to do this now. And I went, oh, okay, I'm going to do this now. <laughs> and so then I learned e-commerce and, you know, just kind of spun off from there. And then I was working at Upper Deck in uh, 2004 when I found out about podcasting and I started listening to, you know, Adam Curry's show and Don and Drew. And I was like, Oh, this podcasting thing is cool. I like this. Um, I wonder if there's any Mac shows and there weren't. And I thought, you know, I bet you I could probably do this because Don and Drew are like, Oh yeah, we just have a USB microphone and GarageBand. And I'm like, Oh, I, I have, I can get a USB microphone for 25 bucks and I have GarageBand. So let's give this a shot. And um, I remember I didn't really tell anybody because I didn't know what I was going to do with it or how I was going to do it. Do it. Um, so I would spend my lunch hours. I'd drive off somewhere like remote in my car with my laptop. I had a I had a white I think an iBook, fourteen inch iBook at the time, and I'd plug in this little Logitech USB microphone and I'd open up GarageBand and I would you know record the MacCast over like a lunch hour and then like post it when I got home. Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and the history was made. Now, and history now, was made. Yeah. So now the, going going back though to the web development stuff, I mean, you yeah. you've also been kind of there when all that started as well, and it's changed so much mm -hmm. in the years. I mean, 
where where should someone listening who wants to get into web development now, where do you think they should start at this point? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, and I get asked that a lot, too. You know, I think the Internet's a great resource. There's so many options, you know. I mean, and do, I, you, I, do you go to school and do you get a computer science degree or do you do you take courses or certifications or? Right. Yeah. <sighs> You're almost asking the wrong person. This this is a problem. I, I think those are probably very good paths and probably things that many people should do. But we just kind of went through like my career path. And most people that I know who are doing uh, web development and programming, a lot, or I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of them uh, didn't start out here. And a lot of them are sort of self-taught. So I think it's like anything else in life. It's like even like podcasting. I had no experience in audio production or any of those sorts of things. I just had a passion for it. And so when you have that kind of passion, you, you go and you figure it out. And so I think you can take whatever whatever path you want to get to your end result. But I think I think the toughest thing for most people is really deciding what do I want to do? You know, do because you have so many options in programming, you know, do I want to be a, a front end HTML JavaScript programmer? Do I want to get really into CSS and have that be my thing? Do I want to be more on the back end? And if I'm going to do that, am I going to do PHP or am I going to do Ruby or am I going to do Python? I mean, there's just so many choices. And a lot of times those are kind of made for you. Like in my case, it really came out of what the projects that I had available to me. Like I said, someone would come to me and say, hey, can you do X? Yeah, and and I th- yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, sometimes I did. You know, sometimes that was in my wheelhouse and I knew how to do it. And other times I kind of rolled the dice and said, no, but that's something I'd really want to do. So I'm, I'm going to kind of tell them, yeah, I, I think I can do that. And I'll eat it on I'll eat it onto the job in terms of making money or whatever it might be, because you, you can't kind of overbid this stuff. But. You know, I'll learn a lot in the process and then my skill set will be broadened. And then the next time that sort of opportunity comes up for me, I can take that and I'll have the experience. So, you know, I think it's interesting because people of of our generation and, you know, plus or minus 10 years in, in that bracket are really kind of the first to be doing this. I mean, when we went to college and, and through our traditional, you know, quote unquote education, you, you couldn't major in app development. You couldn't uh, get a, a degree in, in web development. And, and there certainly wasn't a course on on CSS or anything like that in the computer science department when I went to college and probably when you went to college, because, oh, yeah. you know, those, those things just didn't exist. I mean, I, I, exist. I mean, I, I got a journalism degree and you know, there were, there were three options. It was, it was print and it was TV or it was radio. And, mm-hmm. and, and I can't help but wonder whether, you know, my gosh, is there going to be a degree in podcasting soon? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, there and, may have to be, and maybe maybe there are already, but but I can't sit here and fathom going. My gosh, you know, there, there's a college course on taking, and I'm sure there already is a college course on on podcasting. There are probably several. I mean, is that a minor? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I I don't know, but these things that we can't <laughs> even fathom now. I, I'm available to teach it if anybody, yeah, Adam, you should teach it. But it, pro- um, it probably fits into like you know a degree in. 
and I hate the term new media because I think it's all just right. media, right? But I, I think it would be have to, have to be part of a cohesive like media degree or or journalism degree now, right? Because, do, you, do you think that journalism degree now includes? A, I mean, certainly radio stations aren't dead, but you know, do you think that journalism degree that I got now includes you know print, TV, and, and radio? I, I certainly can't imagine the radio department is 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 a third of the journalism college anymore. No, but I would think, you know, it might include audio. You know, I don't know what was involved in the, yeah. the radio side no, of we, things. No, we, right? we had our own radio station. I think we had two. We had a talk radio, a sport, three. It's talk radio, sports radio, and classic radio. I mean, I went sure. to a pretty, pretty big state school, so. Sure, but I mean, the, the concepts behind, you know, it, you're really talking about how does the content get to the person. So what it really is a degree in is creating um audio content that is distributed to a large audience, right? So yeah, what you call that thing is still is still relevant. So it was radio maybe when you were in school. Now it might be, you know, radio, internet, streaming, you know, who knows? But, I mean, it's all still relevant, so. I, I also think that, you know, looking back, just kind of focusing on web development, when Adam first got into it in our kind of our generation, it was something where someone would say, hey, can you make me a website? And you could say, yeah, soup to nuts, I will make you a website. And someone could say, can you add, you know, a component to it so people could do commerce? And one person could build the whole widget. Mm-hmm. I think the difference now is it's become very specialized with time. It's got more complex. And now mm-hmm. people, there are people out there who just focus on one element of web development. And I think that's, you know, that, that tendency towards specialization is only going to continue. And I don't think it's as easy for one person to know enough about every piece of it to do the job competently anymore. And yeah. I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that works as we move forward. Yeah. And and to get back to, to to directly answer the question you were asking, like, what do you tell people who want to get into this? You know, it, there there are multiple paths. I think it's very relevant to say, hey, go find go find a program. You know, if you're a young kid and you're getting out of out of um, high school and you want this is the career path you think you want for yourself. Absolutely. Find a college that's going to teach, you know, um, web development programming and 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 get into a computer science degree and, and go forward from there. If you're somebody who already has a career someone somewhere else and you're like, I'm just passionate about this. I think this is something I want to get into. Um, I think there's plenty of resources online. You know, there's plenty, there's like, um, I'm trying to remember the one brain tree. I like, you know, they're a sponsor, but you know, they, they, I use their service long before they were a sponsor. Linda is great. They have great courses and, and tutorials. Um, there's great, like free stuff online. You can find YouTube videos. You can get books. I mean, there's tons of great books that you can get. I mean, that's how I taught myself was just, I went to Barnes and Noble. I mean, now you can go on the iBookstore wherever you want to go get your books and, and find material. And it's even better with the internet because you've got great sites like, um, CodePen is one of my favorites, uh, Chris Coyer, and you can go in there and what it'll do for like CSS and HTML is people can post their code and it'll show you the CSS, the HTML and the JavaScript. And then it also shows it to you, you know, running and you can actually go in there and you can tweak with other people's code within their interface and like play around with it and see what's going on. And I find that to be like a really great way to learn. And there's tons of stuff like that. Like I recently, um, through the Mac Observer, I'm, I'm working on a, a new thing, and we're going to be using a, uh, a P3 
PHP framework called Laravel. And I knew nothing about Laravel. And there's a great um, video series called Laracasts. Um, and it's a paid for sort of thing, but I immediately signed up for that. And it's a bunch of like really great videos that show you how to do all that stuff. And it got me up to speed really, really quick. That and plus Linda also had a, a Laravel uh, like intro course. Yeah. So, Oh, I want to talk about the specific tools you use to, to do your web development. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we talk about our second sponsor? Yeah, and that is 1Password. And Dave and I have talked extensively about the importance of having strong, unique passwords across all of your sites because, you know, one of these sites get compromised and then all of a sudden you find multiple sites have been compromised because you've used that same password and these thieves who get your login credentials just, you know, naturally take them and go try them in other places. Um, and so this year, it's it's really important. This is the year if you haven't already, it's time to do that. And 1Password makes it simple by helping you create and store those strong and unique passwords. You can do it on any device because 1Password is multi-platform, whether it be a Mac, a PC, an iPhone, an iPad, even an Android device. Uh, 1Password will take care of that. And all of these devices stay in sync uh, thanks to the wonders of Dropbox and iCloud, it syncs everywhere when you need it. But wait, there's more because uh, with version 5.1 that was released just recently for the Mac, they call this the Syncorific edition because they have overhauled the way how 1Password syncs. You know, with version 5, uh, you can now have multiple vaults, which means if you want to have one primary vault for you and maybe a secondary vault uh, for your work-related activities and maybe another vault that you share with a spouse or a family member, that's great. You can do that. But, you know, maybe your work vault is um, on a PC and, and you sync your personal vault with iCloud, but you want to keep your, your work vault on a PC that you need to have access to with 1Password for Windows. That's that's actually how I work. Um, well, with 1Password 5.1 for Mac, uh, you can now have your primary and secondary vaults sync via different methods. So I can keep my primary vault in iCloud and I can sync my secondary vaults, uh, which includes my work-related vault, via Dropbox, which is just great. Um, it also uh, totally overhauls the way that they sync. So definitely go go get the update. It's a free update if you have version 5 um, and check that out. They've also included enhancements to Watchtower. And version 5.2 for iOS was released, I believe, the same day. So they're really working hard there. Although I have seen pictures of them recently on cruise ships, so I have to wonder. Um, but uh, 5.2 for iOS uh, includes some new features, including a login creator that makes it really easy for people who are especially new to 1Password to add their existing logins to 1Password. And so it's never been easier to get your data in. Uh, they also have added support for these one-time use passwords. What, you know, those two-factor authentication tools that you've previously had to have a separate app for, whether it's Google Authenticator or Authy, which is my favorite. Um, now you can manage all of those within 1Password for iOS. Uh, so go check it out at onepassword.com. Uh, learn all about the new features and give it a try. And thanks to 1Password for their longtime support of MacPower users. The um, Adam, now I I think you told me once you're a BB Edit user. Is that correct? Nope. No. Okay. Ah, there you go. You found someone, Dave. <laughs> the running theme on the show. So, so what do you use for web development? I am not a BB Edit user. I was maybe way, way back in the day. Um, and then I moved into TextMate for a okay. while. Um, but that got abandoned. And so yeah, I have moved on. Famously, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've moved on and I use a program called Sublime Text. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, one of the biggest features about it is it, it's really easy to extend. So, um, if, 
there's you know there's a feature in it that you need and it doesn't exist people can sort of write extensions or add-ons for it and it has a built-in um sort of package installer for putting those into place so you hit um if i can remember the command i think it's command option p or something like that command p might be or command shift p <laughs> you can tell it's, i use it all the muscle time memory right you just yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh and uh then you can find different add-ons so like for example when i was doing um the expression engine stuff for mac observer somebody has written an entire expression engine library because it has its own syntax you know every language kind of has its own syntax it has its own thing so if you needed code hints or um autocomplete those sorts of things for a specific language um, someone can just write an extension and add that into it. Um, so, you know, and then of course it's got all your basic features of doing, you know, your code coloring and all those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, is the only way I, I program these days is sublime text. And, um, they haven't, I think they're on version two and version three seems to have been taking a long time. So I don't know what's going on with that, but yeah, another advantage is it's cross-platform. So for people who have to work on PC and Mac or even Linux, um, once you get Sublime Text, you can use it across the platforms. I think that's a big deal for some people. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this thing called um, that I've been hearing a lot about, though, uh, through kind of the Laravel stuff I've been doing called PHP Storm. So I might check that out. But I've been a Sublime Text user for a while now, so <laughs> it's always hard to switch, but... You know, well, since they've uh, been delayed on the new version, you know, getting the new version out, it starts me starts giving me those uh, those pains of oh oh do I have another Sublime text on my, or another uh, text made on my hands? Yeah, and, and you know, you get you you do get used to using the tools, and you get you know that like you said, the keyboard shortcuts get under your fingers. Right, it's really a big deal sometimes to to switch to something else. And I know for development, it's really hard because. There's a certain you know development software. Not only is it just you write words in there, it's also it's programming. So um, the way you you create that programming can be very different depending on on the tool itself. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of my tool just for the HTML CSS side of things, and then I have a few other a few other tools in my in my belt that I use for various aspects of my my development. I don't know if you want to get in, me to get yeah, into those or not. Let's just go there. What, what are okay. some of the more so, uh, you know, most of my database stuff is done with um, MySQL. So, um, and I don't like, you know, a lot of people go old school and they go command line with the terminal. So you can go in the terminal, yeah. you can do all your MySQL commands in there. Um, when I was working at Upper Deck, uh, believe it or not, for those five or six years I was there, I was a Microsoft C-sharp.net developer. Okay. A lot of people don't know this about me. So I've no, had I experience on Windows as a day yeah. job. Um, and one of the things about working in that environment is they have really, really nice development tools. They have a nice IDE. Um, they had a nice uh, GUI for MS SQL for managing, you know, your SQL servers. And so when I started doing PHP stuff on the Mac, it was kind of hard to leave that and go back to, you know, just command line stuff. Um, so... For MySQL, I use a product called Navicat that offers a really, really nice uh, graphic user interface. And there's a lot of tools for um, doing MySQL with a GUI that are free. This one is a professional, you know, it's not cheap. I think it, I want to say I pay 100 or 200 bucks for the software. 
don't remember the price. N-A-V-I-C-A-T. Yeah, Navicat. And they have it for all the different kinds of databases. So if you're using Oracle or some other system, you can get Navicat for that. I have Navicat for my SQL. Um, And it's great because it lets me connect to all of my remote uh, databases. It gives me a GUI for managing my tables and setting up things. And it just means I don't have to remember all those, you know, command line things. You know, I can just go in and say, okay, I want a new table. This is the name of the table. I need a new column and I need it to be an int column. And this is the name of it. You know, it, it makes that easy. I also like it. It has a nice little backup mechanism built into it. So I can connect to a remote server um, for one of my clients and, and quickly do a backup if I'm going to be, you know, doing an update or something like that. Um, and it just makes my workflow go much more quickly, you know, rather than having to kind of recall all that stuff. So that's a big part of my workflow. And then um, another thing that I do uh, with all of my projects and websites now is uh, version control or sort what they call source code control or source control. Yeah. Uh, explain, for, explain for people who are not developers what that means, because that comes up on our show frequently. We never do a very good job of explaining it. <laughs> I think the easiest, uh, the easiest way to explain it is imagine if you had um, – time machine for your code. Really? Um, so Sometimes I think about like track changes, like to the, you know, to the ultimate, you know, track changes, like if you're doing word processing. Right. Yeah. And, and actually it's funny because, um, you know, so I use Git, which is uh, built in, I think it's built into OS 10 now. I don't think I had to install it. Um, it's there under the hood. If you want to get into the, into the Unix um, and, uh, the nice thing about it, what I was going to say is I know writers who use Git for their writing because it will just track any kind of text file, basically, and the changes that you make to it. So what you'll do is you'll be working on a file. It it sits there. It watches what's going on with a file. Very much like, actually, maybe even a better way to think about it is like versions in OS X. That, that's what they call that feature, right? I don't even yeah. use it all that much, yeah. right? Versions? Yeah. Yeah, so same kind of thing. So just like you could go back in your in your, you know, text edit document to, you know, the version you did three versions ago, um, Git works exactly like that. So it's just constantly watching. I you know, I, I I define a project, I say this project, you know, keep track of all these files that I'm working on. And as I make changes, what it'll do is it'll note those changes or notice, hey, this file has changed, and then um what I can do is I can go commit those changes, which means, hey, I'm done working on this file. Check this into the to the version control system and kind of set a point like this is a this is a save point. But say I'm looking at that or I'm testing it and there's some big bug and I can't figure out what's going on with it. And it's like, oh, I just want to go back to the version right before I committed those changes. Makes it really easy to go back and just say, okay, give me give me the site you know, one version before I made all these changes because I screwed something up, I can't figure it out, and I just want to start over. Those sorts of things. Or, you know, you can compare the two files and maybe find where, where things went wrong. Those sorts of things. Um, so I use Git, and I use GitHub, which is, GitHub is basically just a remote server where you can have a Git repository so you can keep your projects and you can check things into it. Yeah. Um, and Git ha- GitHub has a little, you know, GUI that you can use to work with the Mac. Um, and I tried using that for a while, but I wasn't super happy with it. And there is a company called um, 
think they're called Git Tower, um, and a piece of software called Tower 2. And I use that for my uh, GitHub repositories and tracking all my changes. Those sorts so of things. Do, do you... Uh, do you collaborate with many people? I know because you're so busy over at Mac Observer. I'm sure you work with some people over there. Yeah. I mean, actually, Dave Hamilton and I, I mean, Dave occasionally will get in and hack the code. Yeah. I think he I think he enjoys it. It's not his, his main thing, um, but he works on little bits and pieces. So, yeah. So what we have with, uh, with Mac Observer is we have a GitHub repository, and we have the website in there. And we actually have two repositories. We have the production one. And we have a development one. And what's great about Git and this whole workflow is I can, um, you can do this thing called create branches, which is basically just like creating a copy of the website, sort of, you know, copying everything over off to the side. You're going to work on a bunch of stuff over there and test it out, make sure it's all working. And then what you can do with um, Git is then merge all of your changes back into the main what they call branch you know they, you basically you have branches and then uh, the trunk rather so you can kind of take all your code and then push it back into the trunk and then push that back out to your repository and then when you do that everybody else who's working on the project you know can then pull and get all those changes and things like that so it, it's a great way to keep kind of everybody in sync and then um, we also use it for deployment. So on our production servers, when everything has been sort of, we've tested it, we go, okay, this this new feature is ready to go. Um, we can actually just go out to the production server and with one command, it will pull in all the latest and greatest changes, push those out to the website, and then the website's updated. All right, it's actually backing. a really amazing system. Yeah, and and all that stuff is so much easier now than it used to be. <laughs> it like. Well, and and then the great thing is, is like, say we screwed something up. <laughs> this is the real power. It's like we push everything out, and somebody's like, "Hey, your website's completely broken. What'd you guys do?" Like I said earlier, we can just go back to that that previous save point. We can say, "Oh, undo yeah, wind, every, quick one command, undo everything yeah. we just did." Right. And then we're back up and running. So I think that I think there's a, a need for that with documents out there. You know, I know people have talked about using similar technologies for, you know, complex documents. Mm-hmm. And this is probably just the lawyer talking, but I think it would be great to be able to do that. I, I know it like, kind of exists, but it doesn't really exist collaboratively <laughs> the way it does for programs. Well, like I said, I know writers who use Git and GitHub for writing. Yeah. For I think that exact reason for collaborative writing and things like that, it it would work. It's kind of geeky and nerdy. It's so I think what you're end, talking yeah. about is you you need something more user friendly. But yeah. Now, what? How do you guys communicate over a Mac Observer? I mean, it, you're working with all these different people. Do you guys, you know, Skype? Skype. Skype okay. is the number one tool. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have a a, a morning meeting via Skype. Um, we try and keep them really brief because we're we're all not big on meetings, you know, yeah. but just kind of a, hey, what are we working on today? What What's happening? You know, what's interesting going on? And then we get off and go do our thing. Now, uh, I know you also, as we talked about earlier, have been publishing, you know, one of the longest running podcasts and you do a ton of research. It's a very news heavy show. Yep, And I know you pull a lot of content for that. I know you also do a lot of work producing that, you know, getting the research done, getting the notes out. And there's some, I know, I know for a fact, there's some pretty cool tools you're using to do all that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we go over to that topic, though, I'd like to talk about um, our next sponsor, which has already been mentioned in our show. Uh, 
oddly, and that would be lynda.com. Um, you know, it's already <laughs> February, so what are you waiting for? You know, invest your time this year and start learning something new at lynda.com. They now have a 10-day trial. Gang, it used to be seven. Now it's 10. So you get three extra days. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world. Like Adam was saying, when you want to learn something new, go into Lynda.com. They've got 3,000 courses on topics like web development and photography, visual design and business. So whatever it is you want to learn, go there and you're going to find a course. All the courses are taught by experts and the new courses are added to the site every week. So whether you want to set a new financial goal or work on your work-life balance, invest in a new hobby or learn how to program or do something, you know, develop a website, you go there and they will help you develop those skills. Now you can sign up, like I said, for the 10 day trial by visiting lynda.com slash Mac power users, and you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You'll get access to view the tutorials on tablets and the phones, even Androids, if that's the way you go. Uh, and they have access to new courses added every week. I love that email. You know how sometimes you get junk email and you ignore it. When I get the email from Linda, I always read it because they're, it's all the new courses for that week. And I might add some of them to my list of things I want to watch. Uh, some of the courses I'd recommend, uh, there, there's several. I'm just looking at my own playlist right now. I recently added one on iPhone and iPad security fundamentals. I think that would be good. You know, as I'm talking to people about the stuff, I want to make sure I'm up to date on all of that. Uh, but there's also some kind of like personal development stuff in here that I really like. Uh, so I've got several of those I've signed up for, you know, are you afraid of public speaking? They've got, they've got one on overcoming your fear of public speaking. Um, if you're looking up to, maybe you've got a job where you're going to start using the Microsoft 365 uh, product. They've got one on getting up and running with OneNote, which is kind of their one drive. I guess that's their, you know, their cloud-based solution. Uh, no matter what it is you're doing, it can help. I can tell you in my office uh, that I have broadcast these lint.com classes to the staff so they can get better at using Microsoft Word or whatever software application we're trying to work on. They've got one on improving your memory. No matter what it is you want to learn, Linda's got a class for you. Uh, we love having them as a sponsor. So once again, to get your 10-day free trial, go to lynda.com slash users and sign up. That lets them know that you came from users, and we always appreciate that. And not only that, you're going to get 10 days of great learning, and you can then after that sign up and, and have it every day. I've been a subscriber for years, and I'll continue to. I love my lynda.com, and you should too. Go check it out. So, Adam, before we get into some of the nuts and bolts about, you know, podcasting and, and how mm -hmm. you do stuff, how, how did you get started? I mean, how did you even know that this was a thing back in 2004 and, and then decide that you wanted to start one? Podcasting? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I was listening to podcasts. I don't remember how I found podcasts. That's a great question. Yeah. I probably, you know, I had a Wired subscription and I want to say, you know, this was 10, over 10 years ago. So... <laughs> please forgive me if my memory fails me, but it, well, may, have been, it may have been a write-up about Adam Curry and Wired, or I probably saw it on a blog somewhere, maybe like Boing Boing or, you know, like one of these places and thought, oh, this sounds interesting. I, I had a long commute at the time, so I was like looking for something to kind of help kill that commute. So I think I, I discovered podcasting that way. And then, like I said, you know, being a huge Apple Mac fan I immediately, like, when I found podcasting, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I, I want more content. I want more stuff. Um, and like we said earlier, it was kind of hard to find things. So a right. bunch of Googling, like, where are the Mac podcasts? Who's doing a Mac podcast? 
And um, there were a couple of long-standing Mac shows at the time that were on like Real or some of those other networks. So you had um, your Mac Life, Sean King's show, uh, which he'd been doing for a long, long time, and then um, Inside Mac Radio, I, th- I think, was also there. And they were both doing streaming. And I, th- I want to say one or both of them had started kind of taking their real stream and putting it into a RSS feed. But if anybody remembers like the real audio back in the day, because there wasn't a lot of bandwidth, a lot of people are still on dial up. It was like really compressed eight bit, like not the greatest quality stuff. So that's why earlier I was saying, you know, I, that title of, you know, was I the first Mac podcast or not? I think I was the first Mac show that was produced actually as a podcast. So what happened was I saw that those shows were out there. They were okay, but I was really looking for something different. I was looking for something that would kind of give me the summary of the latest things that were going on in the, in the Mac news that week. Cause I, you know, get to work and I try to, you know, follow the blogs and catch up. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to do that? If in my hour commute, I could get caught up on all my Mac things. And so that show didn't exist. So I was like, oh, well, maybe maybe if I'm looking for it, someone else is. And uh, that was that was really, I think, how the MacCast was born. And then um, the funny thing was is the, the sort of, you know, help how-to part of it came about because I, I did a couple episodes of the show and then somebody just, like, emailed me a question. And I was like, oh, you know, this is another thing. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about user groups later. Yeah. And, and that sort of keyed in my keyed in on my user group sensibility. So I, so I added that part to the Mac cast. Right. I remember very similar to you for, for years, my, my morning routine or, you know, whatever would be that I, there were certain sites that I wanted to, you know, I have follow up on the news and, you know, there wasn't a, a newspaper or, you know, you could, you could wait every month for your Mac world or Mac life magazine. Right. Um, or, or you could go and, and I had bookmarks. I had a row of bookmarks that were my Mac bookmarks and I would go read, okay, Mac rumors. And then, um, think secret and then right. uh I, I, you know but i could apple list them insider all yeah, and apple insider and, and what what were the one? mac mac nn yeah and, and the unofficial apple weblog ending was is a is, is sad news but yeah. um but you know i would go through and there were maybe you know maybe a dozen sites that i would you know of course there were no browsers with tabs uh that was a big improvement when we got browsers with tabs but well, well, let's let's just move up though, because I we've been talking a lot of history in this show, and but I, I really would like to hear because Adam's been doing this so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, how you you've got to scrub all this information out there in the world yeah. on a daily basis and yeah. and distill. I mean, the service you're offering to your listeners, and if anybody hasn't listened to, they should definitely listen to Adam's show because you're getting the best news delivered by an interesting, engaging person, but. But that first part of it, how do you get out there and figure out what it is you're going to share with your audience and put it into a format they can share? Because this stuff has all developed a lot over the years. But now sure. sitting here in 2015, you've got a lot of great tools available. I'm curious yeah. how you do it now. Well, thank God for RSS readers. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't do it without. Well, I guess I did kind of in the early days to do it without RSS readers. But I mean, that really changed my workflow dramatically. Um, and having an RSS reader that can sync, you know, having these services like, um, 
Feedbin or Feedly or what have you, where I can keep everything in sync. That's really key because okay, now so, that I, so now that Google's dropped out, which one did you settle on? So I was using Feedbin for a while, um, but I think what happened was I want to say that Reader. So Reader was my like go to RSS reader for like yeah. forever because it was on my Mac, it was on my iPhone, it was on my iPad. Great design. And, a great design. I loved it. It had all the features that I needed. Um, and and the, for those at home, that's Reader with two E's. Yeah, R-E-E-D-E-R. Um, yeah. And I loved it. Uh, the problem was, is like when Google dropped out, when Google Reader dropped out, because that, that was the way I kept everything in sync. It integrated with Google Reader. And so if I, you know, start an article or tag something on one device, it was all in sync. I, I think, I don't know why... But Reader, like, they, like, updated the iPhone app to support new, like, services. So when Google dropped Reader, you had to go to Feedly or Feedbin or some other service. Uh, Reader was really quick on the iPhone, but not on the iPad, I think, is you know. And so it was like, there was this, like, disconnect. And so I, like, had to go out and find a new RSS Reader. And I still haven't found one like reader that gets me across all platforms. I guess I could go back to reader at this point, but they kind of jaded me, you know, like I kind of got, got a little miffed that it took so long. So, uh, now I actually use different products on different devices, believe it or not. But it's not the end of the world because, you know, the nature of RSS is, well, if, and you, it all, if you got somebody syncing it for you, it doesn't yeah. matter if you use one app on your iPhone and one app on your iPad and different on your Mac, everything's going to be in sync, right? Right. Well, yeah, but I kind of like having that unified interface, but I don't have it anymore. So what happened was, is I ended up with Feedbin. So I was using Feedbin and I was using, um, I use the ReadKit on my Mac and I use Mr. Reader on my iPad and, um, forget what I was using. I think I was still using Reader on my iPhone because Reader, you know, like I said, it was updated. So I was still using Reader on the iPhone, but I wasn't totally happy with it. So um, somebody recommended uh, an app for the iPhone called Newsify. And I really like the UI in Newsify. The thing is, is it doesn't support Feedbin. So I ended up moving everything to Feedly. So now what it is, is on my iPhone, I use Feedbin. On my iPad, I use Mr. Reader. On my uh, Macs, I use ReadKit, but the key is is that when I'm going through articles, so to get back to how I do the MacCast and how I parse all this material, right? I have all of my um, shows and things that I subscribe to, or you know the feeds that I subscribe to. So you know, you name it. It's Apple's, you know, Apple's news feed, Apple Insider, Cult of Mac, Daring Fireball, iLounge, iMore. Infinite Loop, Mac NN, Mac Rumors, Mac Stories, Mac World. Um, uh, wow, the Apple Core is still in here, although I don't think that's being updated anymore. Mac Observer, unofficial Apple Weblog. And unfortunately, that one's going to have to go away. That makes me a little sad. Um, and tidbits. Yeah, all the I, fire hoses. <laughs> right. So yeah. I have all of those feeds. So daily, I mean daily, and I'm not joking. Um, I probably need to parse 200 to 500 articles a day. Yeah, okay. that's a lot. Yeah. And so the way I the way I've worked out to do it is I do a I do a first pass. And that basically involves really just looking at headlines. And um because you can get crazy with this stuff, right? Uh yeah. 
the the Mac Apple sphere, there's lots of stuff to talk about. I could talk about apps. I could talk about. So with the MacCast, I've decided I'm really going to just focus news wise just on Apple news. I really don't like the the legal, you know, Apple's getting sued by so-and-so or so-and-so suing Apple. So I tend to filter those out. Bless um, you. Because <laughs> it just bores me and I don't want to talk about it. But so I'll go through and I'll just quickly star is what I do. Is I, You know, I star all the articles that I think are going to be appropriate for the next MacCast. So I, every day I just star, 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 star. And yeah. then um, that shows up in my starred folder and then what I'll do is a few days before I'm getting ready to do the show, when I need to do my notes, I'll go back and I'll I'll read through this, just the starred articles. So I probably have, you know, by the end of a week, I'll probably have 50 to 100 articles to kind of parse through and read. And then I try and aggregate that content. And so when I'm doing that, what I'm doing is I'm reading the articles and I'm making notes either in um, Byword using Markdown or directly into more often um, directly into Omni Outliner is is the main tool I use for that because ultimately all of my notes need to get into Omni Outliner because that's the thing I use when I um, push the show notes up onto my website. I, I used since the very beginning Omni's export to HTML feature, which is amazing because yeah. it it does all the HTML, all of the images, and even a little bit of JavaScript. So things like the little um, you know, exposure drop downs and stuff like that. So you can get more, you know, the collapse, expand drop downs, all of those yeah. work in the notes well, and stuff like that too. That's really saying something from someone who's a web developer that they would trust, you know, a third party app to, to export their code. <laughs> yeah. They actually do a really nice job of it. And, and frankly, it's just another one of those things. Like, it's like, is this another hat that I want to do? Do I want to have to do custom HTML for all my show notes? every show and you kind of have to give up some certain things at a certain point yeah. because it's just like, I can't, I don't have the time to do, to, to do it all. I mean, I'm one of those few people that still kind of like do, I call it hand doing my feed, but I really don't. I, I use, um, feeder. I still do my feed with feeder and I don't think a lot of people do that. A lot of people just install something like pod press or something and, and let, let that handle the RSS feed. But I like to tweak mine a little bit more. And for people who don't know, Feeder is basically an app that will um, let you customize, create your RSS feed. So every time you're you're uploading, you're creating it, you're adding in your show notes, you're you're adding in the information about the feed, um, right? And then you're you're manually uploading that RSS feed to your site every time you publish it, right? Yeah, I got to fill out a bunch of you know fields like the keywords and the description of the show and all the iTunes tags and stuff like that. So. Feeder is a GUI that lets you, you know, fill out all the fields. You fill out all the fields for the new show, the show title, you know, the author, all that sort of stuff. The length. I mean, you've got to put everything in there by hand and, and then, you know, push it out to your web server. So, yeah. yeah. But Feeder probably is the app if that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, there's a lot more automated ways to do that. But, you know, back in the early days, I did it all by hand in XML. That was fun. So, like, Feeder was like... <laughs> Godsend, but getting back to Omni Outliner for a minute. So you're developing your your outline. You're collecting your articles and your notes for a show and Omni Outliner as you're doing the research. Right? Do you use that also, like, kind of as a um, that's my read talking points for yeah. That's exactly my talking points that I'll follow along when I'm doing the show. So that tells me, you know, each section what stories I'm going to be covering and then has the bullet point, you know, sort of bits of information that I need. I don't do a straight read, you know, it's not like a script. 
it's just yeah. bullet points, you know, sort of yeah. the, the topic. So I can look down as I'm as I'm recording. I've got my Omni Outliner document in front of me on my main screen, and you know, then I can kind of pick and choose and pull in bullet points as I'm talking. So yeah, yeah. Now you may be recording a show, let's say on a Sunday, um, mm-hmm. for something that you actually you know, read and something that happened, you know, maybe Tuesday, you know, right. several, several days earlier in that week. Do you have any particular rituals, you know, prepping for that show? Do you go back and reread everything and say, you know, this isn't so important or this got updated or anything that you do just before no, recording? No, but what I'm doing, you know, like I said, with the RSS workflow, I'm processing um, the show notes every, every day, pretty much. So I'm update, I'm having to update them as it leads up to the show. So a very common thing that will happen, as you know, I mean, the internet, every Everybody's like rushing to publish the story, right? And a lot of times the first story out isn't always the most accurate story or there may be a correction or an update or something like that. So at that point, I'll go back through and update, you know, show notes or fill out a a section that might not be, you know, complete or there's more facts that become available. So I try and keep it as up to date as possible, you know, but every once in a while things slip through the cracks cracks but that's kind of how i review and handle it so yeah i'm kind of prepping everything up until show day and so even right before the show i'm going to be processing you know usually that last pass through my rss reader is going to be you know like an hour or two before i do the show so hopefully i'll pick up anything that i need to update within the show notes you know right before then and then it's a matter of at that point i'm flipping over i'm launching GarageBand, and i'm recording so and then you go through your Omni outline, and when you're done, you ex- use the export function to HTML, and you've got your code for your website for your show notes. Detailed exactly. show notes. Yeah, exactly, with all the links. And and, and the, the other nice part about that is the listeners can actually see the links in the exact version you talked about them because it's your talking points. Yeah, and if you're really nerdy, I, I still, because I'm an old-school podcaster, I'm probably, I think I'm probably one of the only people who still publishes his, his show notes in OPML. So every uh, yeah. single episode of the uh, the MacCast is available as an OPML show note. So you could grab that file and bring it into your Omni Outliner and do whatever you want with it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. And, yeah, for people who don't know, um, it you know, it's Outliner markup language. It's basically a, a, a standardized way of presenting an outline. And there's a lot of applications that will suck in OPML files, I think, including like um, – you know, a lot of like uh, mind mapping kind of software and stuff yeah, like it, that. It allows you. In fact, I've I've talked about this and written about it. It's it's really a lingua franca for outlines. So you can jump between mind mapping and, and outlining using the OPML format. And just about any mind mapping or outlining application worth its salt already has the support for OPML built in. So it makes it really easy to jump. You know, I, I talked about that in our show about cooking ideas where I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll work on it in a mind mapper and then I'll export it OPML and open it in on the outline and I'll look at it linearly and maybe I'll send it back. And at the end of the day for writers, you can even put an OPML file into a lot of word processing applications. Most famously Scrivener will import the OPML and create up a project with all the various bits and pieces you have. So it's really a great, it's just a great solution and, and it, in no way irrelevant at this point. I think it's more relevant than ever to yeah. for people to understand so, OPM. I don't know if anybody ever uses it, but I've I've done it since the very beginning. So it's out there if you want to grab it. And yeah. everything everything I do with the MacCast is uh, Creative Commons, share and share alike, non commercial. So you know you're welcome as long as you're not going to go try and sell it or or you know make money off of it. You can do whatever you want with it. So yeah. 
And you've been doing that since 2004. Since 2004. Yeah. Wow. What's what's changed? I mean, so much has changed in in (laughs) podcasting, but the the MacCast has stayed fairly steady. I mean, I just, I listened this morning and partially in prepping for this show, but but to show uh, 514, which is your most recent show as of this recording, and and I remember, you know, if I, if I think back several years, I mean, the basic format of the show has has stayed the same, and it's exactly y- the same. Yeah, you know, e- much. E- even your intro and outro, and and <laughs> and a lot of that is, you know, stayed exactly. I tried the same to over change. The I tried to change that at one point. Here's, I'll give you a little getting back into the history, Dave. Sorry. Um, so the the theme song for the MacCast was a is a is a song called. Um, Oh crud! Now I'm gonna. It's in my show notes. Uh, it's it, it it it's produced by a, a band called Manda and the Marbles that doesn't exist anymore. And I want it's Angels with Dirty Faces is the name of the track. Um, and it was just something that was pod safe, and I had kind of um, emailed the band and said, "Hey, can I use? I want to use a snippet of this song," and they gave me permission. Right, so I had permission to use this track for the MacCast. And it was never, you know, it was just something I needed something back in those early days. Cause I didn't, I didn't have anything produced. And I thought about like actually now, you know, making something or getting something produced. And I think I even tried on a couple episodes to like replace it. And people freaked out. Like it did not go over well at all. They're like, that is the MacCast music. You cannot change that. And so I think I learned, I learned then, even with the format and stuff like that, you know, people like the show because it is what it is. It has the format that it has. And it, that's the thing that sort of makes it, um, unique and you don't want to mess with that, I guess. So if I ever want to do anything different, I think I'd have to create a new show really. Well, you did <laughs> well, start a great show. Yeah. You did start doing a, I remember, I know you don't do it anymore, but you, you did the Matt cast loop for a while, which was kind yeah. of a, a call in show over on talk shoe. Honestly, I don't even know if talk shoe still exists. Yeah. I think they're still around. Yeah. Um, but then you did expand to do a members show. Yeah. We do the members show. Yeah. Premium, some premium content, a little extra stuff. And, um, that's been going really well. That's actually uh, a lot more challenging, believe it or not. Than the weekly show. Yeah, tell us um, about that a little bit. Yeah, it's just coming up with coming up with topics and things like that. I don't, I don't, for whatever reason, um, I get a lot more feedback on the the ad supported show, and it, it that really surprised me because I thought you know the people who are are willing to pay for the content, I, I figured they'd be a lot more demanding. They would be a lot more um, like engaged, I guess. And I think they still are because I get emails from them, but more on the regular show. And so just coming up with topics and things like that to talk about sometimes gets a little bit tricky and um, you got to really rack your brain. Whereas I, I, I guess the MacCast, because I've been doing it so long, is kind of on that auto autopilot, right? It has that format. It has the, you know, we do an hour or we do, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of news and we do 30 to 45 minutes of help and support and, and those sorts of things. And, and that's it, you know, that there's your show. Um, in the member show, we try and get more in depth into various topics and things like that. And um, I, I, a lot of times, you know, I'm trying to come up with, you know, what am I going to talk about? And I've asked, you know, Hey, can I get some suggestions? And it's usually crickets. So I kind of, kind of have to rack my brain and think, okay, what are we going to talk about this week? But yeah. And it's still it's, fun. 
but it's also a way for people to support you as well. Yeah, and I think that's why I think a lot of people just appreciate the content, and I'm so thankful to all the people who do um, subscribe to the member show and support it, because I sometimes feel like I'm not doing enough for those people, but at the same time, not a single person ever complains about what I'm doing, and so I, I, I take that to mean that they're enjoying what they're getting, and they feel they're getting value for, for what they're, um, you know, what they're paying, so... Uh, if that's different, they need to let me know, but they're not letting me know one way or the other. So I, I think we're doing something right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's that there is a lot of love for you and all the, I mean, 514 episodes you've been at this and you're, and, and what you're talking about, you know, how many people out there have the time to go through all those feeds and find the really relevant news. And then, you know, it just, you provide a service for a lot of us geeks out here. So I think we all yeah, are fans. Yeah. A lot of people have always asked me, you know, about the prep for the show. And I think sometimes people don't realize, I mean, the, the prep to the show to each episode is probably just the prep is 20 to 30 hours. I would guess. A yeah, week. We, we, we have the same thing. I mean, our show, we understand. Is, it's yeah. You, you understand, show. but I mean, the, yeah, the public, I, I think sometimes, they don't they don't get, you know, the amount of material that that you have to parse through and sort of you got to really be on top of this stuff. Yeah. The um, I want to talk about I know we want to talk about mugs a little bit, but I also want to talk about the software that somebody who does web development and produces podcasts and, you know, the little bits of software that make your life easier. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think we need to do that. But before we do that, let's talk about our last sponsor. Yeah, our, our last sponsor for this episode is our friends over at Fujitsu. And you know, they make this awesome line of ScanSnap scanners. And I just wanted to update you on the saga of my mother and father, because as you may recall, I got a ScanSnap iX500 for my mother for Christmas. Um, and she is very happy with it, but it is causing a little marital strife because um, my dad is not so happy with the fact that she got an iX500. Um, and so I think she's going to have to get him an iX500 for whatever the next holiday is because I, every time I go over there, I make a point to ask her how her new scan snap is doing. And she actually said that if I wanted that, I could record her and she could do the next ad for scan snap because, oh boy, is she on board and she a full believer. You know, she was talking about how it was zooming through all of her scans and how it has never gotten stuck, not even once when she put 23 pages through the other day and how it's wireless and she doesn't even have to connect it to her computer and she can keep it in the closet if she wants because she doesn't have much room uh, on on her desk where she's got it set up. And the whole time my dad, we did this at the breakfast table the other day. We had Sunday morning breakfast together. And the whole time my dad is just sitting there with this uh, grin on his face. Um, but the iX500 is a great machine. And if you've got a lot of paper to go through and you're really trying to adopt a paperless system, you should check it out. Uh, but they also have the S1300i, which is a great option. It's portable. It does 12 pages per minute, uh, two-sided uh, multi-page scanning. Um, and don't forget the iX100 for the ultimate in portability. Uh, it's small enough that it will fit in a glove box, backpack, or briefcase and weighs only 14 ounces. It's USB powered and now with wireless scanning. So you can wirelessly scan uh, to either a Mac or PC uh, or to your iOS device. And of course, all of the scan snaps come with great software that will allow you to scan multiple documents, 
even uh, some documents, larger size that can then automatically be stitched together. Um, and all the ScanSnap software will OCR, save to a PDF, scan to a folder, email, or save to third-party apps like Evernote or Dropbox. Uh, you should check it out, and you can find more information about the great ScanSnap line of scanners at ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. Uh, and thanks to our friends at Fujitsu for their support of the show. Now, now I know, Adam, uh, you and Katie yep. are both uh, active in uh, Mac user groups. Yep. Yeah, and there's not as many people doing that as there used to be. Or, you know, maybe the, the community is just so much bigger that it's a much smaller percentage. No, I think it's the first one a little bit. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. 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 I mean, so so you guys are, now, Adam, you're, I, I know San Diego has a pretty active mug. How big is it now? Uh, you mean how small? It's? Oh, really? Fortunately, I thought yeah. that, that was a big one down there. Uh, yeah. At one point, it used to be about three hundred members. Well, okay. So now it depends on what we're talking about. Yeah, are you talking okay. members? Or are you talking regular attendance? Or no? Yeah. I mean, in, in in the case of ours, I, I want to say we're down to around a hundred members. You know, at one point it used to be over three hundred to four hundred members. Um, attendance has really gone down. Um, I have a friend in the mug who um, he and I kind of started up a iOS special interest group within our within our group developer group, and that group is growing massively and exponentially. Um, and so then, most recently, he kind of had this great idea to say, "Well, you know, maybe we need to sort of expand this thing." So. What we've done with the user group here in San Diego is we've rebranded it. So it used to be, you know, the San Diego Mac users group, SD mug. Uh, it's been rebranded as iTech SD. So, um, and then under iTech is the iOS group and the San Diego Mac users group. And we plan to have a publishing group. And also like a video production group. So we're trying to like open it up and broaden it because Apple and the idea, and I think this is genius, is that, you know, Apple has gone way beyond the Mac. So it was great to have a Mac users group, but there's all kinds of people that use Apple products now that may or may not have a Mac. And it was sort of like, how do we start to reach out and, and reach those people? And so iOS has been one of those ways more on, this is more on the developer side, but we want to take that same success we've kind of had in that area and maybe open it up to some other folks as well. So yeah, I think there's some talk of doing something for like an Apple. We've always had like a Mac 101 kind of group that's for new Mac users. It'd be great to have some sort of group that, appeals and can bring in people who are new iOS users, you know, iDevice users and things like that. So we're trying to kind of reinvigorate it, reinvent it and make it more about Apple technology as a broader thing rather than just Macs, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and like I spoke with for you at a group down there that was developer based. Is that yeah, part that's of the, that's that's the San Diego iOS group. And so that was yeah. a special interest group of the of the San Diego Mac users group. Um, but then we realized, you know, what really needs to happen is we need a tech group. And so then what we're doing with the tech group is um, or with the group in general is so the mug has always had a the San Diego Mac users group has always had a monthly meeting. 
Um, we're now what we're doing with all the groups is all the groups are having monthly meetings, but then every quarter, the what we're calling the parent group, this iTech organization, we're having a joint meeting. So regardless of what sort of division of the group you're in, everybody's kind of invited to that. And it's a more generalized tech topic. And we're trying to make it more about more like online with something like a TED talk. So imagine going, you know, it's going to be something a little more inspirational uh, surrounding technology, but not really specific. So like they had the first one in December and it was on Internet of Things. We had a, we had a guy come in and talk about, you know, just the Internet of Things in general and what's going on in that space. So, well, that's the first story I've heard in a long time of a, a local user group growing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a huge success story. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it's just started. Uh, we are starting to gain members. So we're now getting people from the iOS group signing up for the parent group. Because, you know, one of the things that I thought, you know, my friend who, who came up with this idea, you know, it was genius because he said, you know, we've got these iOS developers and they're not really interested in joining a Mac user group. Like, you know, they may be Mac users, maybe they're not Mac users, but it just doesn't appeal to them. So if we can kind of sell them, hey, you know, the parent group, this this organization is a technology, you know, group. Please join that and support that. So we're starting to get new members in that way because membership had been declining for a really long time. And I think we've stopped it a little bit. I don't know if we fully reversed it yet. Um, now, who runs all of these? I mean, it, obviously in San Diego, you're pulling from a much larger population center than I am here. Mm-hmm. But um, our our group is is run by probably a very small half dozen, you know, core yep. group of, of volunteers. And you know, the problem that we're dealing out is you know just fatigue and burnout. And you know how long <laughs> how long can these same you know yep. six core group of people, but really really three people, you know? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, do, do this over and and over and over and over again. I mean, Your board it's all elections volunteers. are just re-electing the same people every year. Yeah, yeah, we we fell into that trap too. So again, just this year, it's funny because we've had the same board for I don't know, probably eight years just this year because we did this sort of reorg and refocus um i think we have two or three new board members and that's never happened right so and then where do you find the talent pool to to put on these these meetings are those people from your board or are you pulling from outside sources or great well i'll tell you i'm i'm doing the meeting you know most of the mac user group meetings i'm the one presenting i probably presented about 80% of them um, every once in a while, somebody else will kind of step up. So, you know, there is a little bit of that, um, for the other groups. Um, like I said, the, the developer group, I think just because there's so much buzz around iOS and developers and things like that. And San Diego is kind of a tech center. I think we've, we've lucked out a little bit. So we've got a lot of people who want to come, um, talk at that group and, and things like that. So, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it is a lot of times the same people, but like I said, now that we've, sort of reorged and reinvigorated things. We're trying to do a little more outreach and we're getting some new blood in and the new blood is stepping up. So I don't know. I think, I think maybe that maybe just the, the thing is how do you reach new blood in whatever area you're in? And that's a really hard thing to answer. We kind of found a way uh, I think to do it. And it, you know, it'll take a couple months to see if it proves to be ongoing successful, but, the early indications are that it's worked a little bit. Wow. Well, congratulations. Well, 
I didn't expect to have good news for Mike. So. <laughs> well, well, no, and, I, and that wasn't I, me. That was really my friend, um, you know, my friend Jeff, who kind of pioneered that. So, you I, know, he really so, made it happen. I, I mean, I don't want to go too much into this because uh, I'm not sure how much the audience cares, but I went down and spoke at, at the group with Adam. And the thing I noticed was there were so many young people in the room, but it was a lot about development kind of topics. Yeah, that's so, the, I, the iOS group is bringing in a lot of new, young, fresh blood. Um, and, you know, like I said, maybe that's what we need. And that's why that the genius of what Jeff came up with was like, look, these guys don't really care about joining a Mac user group. But if we can tell them, hey, we've got a technology group and every quarter we're going to have these great you know, TED talk like talks, they're into that stuff. So yeah. they're a little more engaged. They're a little more interested in that. So I think the key was finding a way to appeal to your target audience or, or the audience that you want to reach. I guess, I guess that's your target audience. Same thing, right? It's like, we need to get more young people. How do we get more young people? Well, they're really into iOS and they're into their iPhones and their iPads. And they want to know about, uh, you know, how do I make an, an, an iOS game? And okay, great. We've now, we've, made this sig and we're we're getting to those people but they're not joining the core group how can we make it so they'll want to join the core group and and realize that this is something they want to support so yeah it's it's cool to see well i look forward to checking in with you six months and a year from now and and seeing how that worked out i may i may steal some of your ideas (laughs) i think everybody should steal them you know anything that we can get more people interacting face to face, I think is a really good deal. And, you know, the other thing is, I don't know if, if you do this, but here in San Diego, you know, I run the iOS group off of meetup and meetup.com has been another great sort of resource. That's like a user group. Um, no, not quite the same thing. It's a little more kind of out there and maybe that's a good thing because you don't have to have a board that's getting tired. You just have to have one guy that wants to sort of set up a meetup and, say, hey, everybody, let's meet at this bar or this coffee shop or what have you. So um, that's a little more informal sort of thing that we do. And every month or so, we get a bunch of developers together at a bar and we just all sit down and chat and talk. And, you know, there's a lot of great connections that are made there. And I think that's something that really is the is the big thing about a user group. And maybe that stigma of that, even that name, user group, You know, maybe young people are more comfortable with like meetup. Hey, it's just a meetup. Why don't you come, you know, hang out with some other developers? Well, and there's there's so much positive that can come out of, you know, just face to face interaction. You know, we think I don't need a user group. I can I can Google the solution to my problem or I can go find it online on a message board or or whatever. But you miss so much by by never coming out of out of the off the keyboard. Well, and here's the, here's the thing, right? You're going to build up your skills, right? So maybe you can do that and you can become a great iOS developer, but now you want a job, right? You want some work. How are you going to do that? Yeah, you can go on some of these sites and compete with everybody all over the world for, you know, piddly money, you know, the, the head sort of headhunter sites that are out there. But I mean, if you want a real job in your area, the best way is to know somebody and to do some networking. And the best way to do that is face to face. And that's what everybody misses out. So I've gotten so much work through and made so many connections and contacts through my meetups and my user group that it's invaluable. You know, a lot of my success is predicated on me knowing people from those groups or meeting other people through the people in those groups. And I think that really gets lost in the internet generation. 
Like people yeah. don't realize how valuable that is. And LinkedIn isn't going to, isn't going to necessarily do that for you, at least not as easily, or I haven't experienced it. And, you know, also we're coming up on the time for Macworld, but there's no Macworld. And right. I know I'm going through withdrawals. I mean, having a, a local group might be something nice if you'd like that. It's so, great. So Adam, what, what apps are you running these days? You know, what are the little apps or menu bar items or what, you know, what's the stuff that's helping you get all this work done? Well, you know, it's a lot of the old staples. Um, text expander for sure is key because I get so much email that I have to process through. Um, maybe the best thing to talk about is maybe some of the little extras I use on the, on the, um, on the website. So, okay. um, billings pro for doing my billings that comes up a lot when I'm talking to people about, you know, you're working for yourself and you need to send out invoices and things like that. Um, you know, I was using iBiz from IG Software, which was awesome. But again, they they let it go, unfortunately, and I had to find something new. And I knew about Billings and Billings Pro um, from Market Circle. These are the guys that do daylight yeah, for yeah. people who don't know. And it's great. It's fabulous. They got a great iOS integration. So um, I was, as a matter of fact, at a client site. Uh, a couple weeks ago and I finished up a job and she's like, can you send me an invoice? And I said, I already did because I had it on my iPad. So I already had, you know, put out the invoice and emailed it to her. Um, that helps me keep, keep track of all that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, try to think, uh, what else is in here? We already talked about Navicat. I'm just going through my, my software list, uh, transmit, you know, for uploading, if we're doing FTP and uploading, files to websites and stuff like that is an invaluable tool for me. Um, there's a great tool called Xscope from um, Icon Factory that has all kinds of little tools for uh, doing like screen measurements and screen sizes and, and yeah. defining it. Did that, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I've used that tool forever for my web development work. So, Well, just to, to measure pixels. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, so you can you can you know like pull up a frame that'll show you what it'll look like in different browsers because all the different browsers, you know, when you have the different elements turned on, that the the menu bar and those sorts of things, they're going to take up different different amounts of space on different screens. So you can look at like this screen resolution, that screen resolution. What's that going to look like when the browser's maximized? And you can kind of figure out where everything goes. Um, you know, you can put in grid lines and you can measure up elements. So if you're looking at a website, uh, it's particularly helpful when you're doing responsive stuff. I have They have a feature, I haven't played around with it too much either, where you can kind of um, push the thing to your iOS, you know, a, a layout or something to your iOS device. So you can kind of see what it's going to look like on mobile, those sorts of things. So really great tool. Well, Adam, uh, thanks for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. And thanks for years and years of giving us the great MacCast podcast. Oh, you're um, welcome. Thanks for having me. Where should people go to find out more? Uh, really easy. MacCast.com. Uh, MacCast on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I also do an iOS show. I guess I should plug that with uh, Michael Johnston and uh, Jeff Gamut. And that's just called the iOS show. So people can check out that at the iOS show.com. Thank you, Adam. And uh, Katie, where can you find more show notes about this, uh, all the stuff we've been talking about today? Well, you can find links to everything we've been talking about at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, and you can also send us feedback by sending that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next week. <laughs>